Welcome to the online sermons at King Street Church. Feel free to listen or watch online at kingstreetchurch.com. We're located at 162 East King Street in the heart of Chambersburg, PA, and would love to see you in person at one of our five Sunday services at 8.15, 9.45, or 11 a.m. We certainly hope you enjoy this morning's message. How you doing, church? Yeah. Woo! Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. I am so excited about this weekend. So many prayers have been offered uh, up uh, leading into this weekend. Prayers for you, whether you're here live in this room or watching on video. It is no accident that you are here. God has an appointment for you right now, right here. And uh, I, w- I would like us to start this, uh, this service by reciting together this verse, the third verse of 1 Peter chapter 1. Would you join me right here, and, and as you watch, would you join me in reciting these words? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen? Amen. I want to ask you, how many of you are thankful tonight for God's great mercy? (laughs) Amen. How many of you maybe probably wouldn't even be here if it weren't for God's great mercy? Amen. We have a merciful, great, and awesome God, and He, Jesus, is alive, and we have a living hope. You know, this verse, written by the Apostle Peter, Peter was an eyewitness to the empty tomb. He was the first one to peer in to that empty tomb. When he ran that Easter morning to that tomb and and got there, The apostle John had gotten there ahead of him, but John hesitated at the entrance to that empty tomb. The stone rolled away. Peter barreled in to that empty tomb, and he saw the grave clothes lying there. An eyewitness to the resurrection, to Jesus alive. And this verse in Peter's first letter, written 30 years, probably to the year, The resurrection was probably, uh, in my study, right around the year 32 A.D. 1 Peter was written in 62 A.D., 30 years after the resurrection, Peter writes these words. And you know, he's describing in this verse two things. He's talking about an event, and he's talking about an experience. Do you see it? He's talking about an event, and that event is the resurrection. That event is that empty tomb, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to the Father where he is right now. That event, Easter Sunday morning, resurrection Sunday morning, occurred that spring day, Sunday after Passover, in probably the year 32 A.D. But he's not just talking about an event, is he? 
He's talking about an experience. He talks about the life that we have through this event, through the resurrection. He, Jesus, the raised one, has given who? Us. I want to highlight that word. He has given us living hope. Church, this is an experience. Easter has given us living hope. Or better said, Easter gives us hope through the living hope that we have in our hearts. Easter gives us hope, not just an event, but an experience. And tonight, I want to ask this question, how? How does the resurrection, how does Easter give us hope? I would like for you please to join me in your Bibles, in your handhelds, to the Gospel of John. We're going to be looking at chapter 4, the Gospel of John, chapter 4. Now, if you are a guest, uh, we have been, as a church, working through the Gospel of John this year. And I, I got to tell you, as I prayerfully laid out the various sermons as we make our way through John this year, I saw that John chapter 4 was going to fall on Easter, and I knew that was no accident, <laughs> that God had it in his heart for you here, listening right now, to intersect with the risen Savior here in the gospel of John chapter 4. In fact, we get to meet tonight, guess where? At the well. <laughs> we get to meet tonight at the well. Now, instead of beginning by me, I generally will read you through the entire text, but for you to really understand the kind of the, the, what was happening and to visualize it, I'm a very visual person. I want you to see a little bit of the story that we see here in John chapter 4 to begin with. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me some water to drink. The woman said, How can you, a Jew, Ask me, a Samaritan, for water. Jesus replied, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give will never be thirsty again. The Book of John, Chapter 4 They say your life could change in an instant. And mine did when a Jewish man asked me, a Samaritan, for a drink. I have been drinking from the same well for more years than I could count. For me, change seemed impossible. I didn't even want it. But the well always left me thirsty. So I came back to it over and over, when no one else could see me, I always came alone. The truth was, I had no husband. He told the truth. The 
real part of my life, the one I tried to hide, but he looked right through me and met me where I was. He wasn't ashamed of me. He wasn't angry. In my life, I thought I'd experienced love. I, I thought I was pretty good at finding it too. But I didn't even know what love was. On an ordinary day, I went to draw water and had a thirst quenched I didn't even know I had. I don't know if they'll believe me, but I gotta try. I gotta tell them I found the Messiah. Rather, he found me. On an ordinary day, the woman said, I went to draw water and had a thirst quenched that I didn't even know I had. My prayer for us is that whatever that thirst is, that longing for this woman, every day went back to the same well, but there was a lot more going on inside of her heart. There's four things that I want us to see in this passage. Four things that I want us to see. If you're taking notes, the first is this. Jesus finds us. Jesus finds us. Verse 4, look at verse 4 of chapter 4 with me. When a Samaritan woman came to the water, came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? See, I want us to see some of the details of, of this woman and how this meeting at the well occurred. Verse 9, the, well, first of all, let me say this. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Pop up to verse 4. Sorry about that. Jesus had to go through Samaria. I want us to think about that. The word there that begins verse 4 is the Greek word Edi, E-D-E-I. It means absolutely had to. Jesus absolutely had to go through Samaria. Now, why do you think that was? Now, I'm going to be really, really transparent with you here as your pastor. Uh, I love maps, and I, I had to put one in the sermon. I just had to. Uh, this map, because I think it really helps us visualize what's going on. Look at the end of verse 3. It says that he was in Judea, he was in Judea, and he left, it says, uh, Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Judea, this is a, modern, a map of modern-day Israel. Judea is down here, right uh, near Jerusalem, the northern end of the Dead Sea. You can see it there. Galilee is the northern region around the Sea of Galilee. It's about 75 miles north of Judea. And in between Judea and Samaria, or Judea and Galilee, rather, is this area called Samaria. It says, again, what does it say in verse 4? Jesus had to go through Samaria. Well, 
There's been a lot of debate as to why he had to go through Samaria. It's certainly the, obviously the shortest route from Jerusalem up to Galilee, but uh, he didn't necessarily have to go geographically through Samaria. In fact, if you see where this well is, I, I went ahead and put a, uh, there's a marker. I, this is a modern day map of Israel. So I, I you know, I, I did a search for J- Jacob's well, and it's right here near Nablus. And this area right here, I don't know if you can see this dotted line on a modern day map of Israel. Do you know what that dotted line represents on a modern day map of Israel? It's called the West Bank. You ever heard of the West Bank? The West Bank is occupied by Palestinians. The Jews occupy the rest of this area in Israel. There's also another area just south of Ashdod, Ashdod called the Gaza Strip. You know what? That's been in the news quite a bit the last two days. There is a lot of, uh, of tension right now between the Jews and the Palestinians. So when Jesus left to go from Judea to Galilee, it was almost identical to today, walking through the West Bank. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Why? Well, I believe the why uh, is because Jesus had an appointment. (laughs) Jesus had to go through Samaria because he had an appointment with a woman on that day. I want to ask you, for those of you here today, tonight, and you know the Lord, can you remember when you met Jesus? Do you remember where you were when you met Jesus? For me, I was eight years old. I was sitting in the back of a church service on a Sunday night. My dad was the pastor. And I'm going to tell you right now, that night I had an appointment to meet Jesus. My life intersected with Jesus on that night. How about you? When you met Jesus, do you look back and see that you had an appointment with Jesus to meet him that day? that night, maybe by your bedside when you were five years old with your mom or whatever your situation is. Jesus had to go through Samaria because he had an appointment to keep. The second thing I want us to see is that Jesus loves us. And this is where we dig a little deeper into the life of this woman. You know, Timothy Keller, he's a pastor over in uh, the New York City area. He said this, God sees us as we are, loves us as we are, accepts us as we are, but by His grace, He does not leave us as we are. Do I hear an amen on that? By His grace, He does not leave us the way we are. Amazing grace. Amazing grace. The hour I first believe. Jesus transforms us. And let's take a look at, uh, at this woman. Verse 7, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate 
with Samaritans. Look at verse 16. Jesus told her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the, now, the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Verse 25, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. By the way, this is the first time in the Gospel of John. Rarely does Jesus come outright and say, I am the Messiah. He proclaims that to this woman there at the well. There's no other way to put it. This woman could not have been any more of an outcast. She couldn't have been. When we look at, uh, at verse 7, what do we see? It says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Well, that right there is strike one and strike two for the Jews. In fact, this is a case of strike four. You're not out. Racial discrimination. When we think about the racial divide that existed in those days between Jews and Samaritans, I think about gender discrimination. And, and uh, in these days, in biblical times, if you were to look at, at the, the environment of those days, the, the, the gender divide between men and women was enormous. And then I think about moral discrimination. Now, I don't want to be too quick to judgment with respect to the fact that Jesus says you have been with five husbands. We don't know for sure. It is possible that uh, she has had five husbands die on her, but I would say probably not. Because we come now to the next verse that says, and the man you are now living with is not your husband. This is... Uh, a race issue, this is a gender issue, this is a moral issue, and I would even add a fourth uh, note to this. Because in those days, women had absolutely no right to divorce their husband. So if this woman had been divorced maybe five times, then I think we have to see her through the lens of a victim. This woman has so many things that would separate her from Jesus. And yet what we see in Jesus is a Messiah that breaks down all the barriers. He breaks down every barrier. There couldn't have been more barriers that would have existed between Jesus and this woman. And as far as I can see, Jesus then submits to her. What does he say? Jesus asks her for a drink. Will you give me a drink? I want you to think about that moment as Jesus comes to the well and asks her for a drink. Do you know what's happening there? It's very interesting. In one of the commentaries I read, 
Frederick Bruner said this, Jesus did not command the woman to give him a drink. He asked her for a drink. Verse 9, she says, and yet you ask me? An asker, as we know from human experience, momentarily places oneself beneath the one asked in social power. So Jesus goes down low in his initial relationship with this woman. Don't miss that. All of these barriers that could have separated Jesus from this woman, and yet he asks her for a drink. There's only one motive that makes sense, and it's the motive of love. Jesus finds us. Jesus loves us. Jesus fills us. And this is where Jesus talks about the water. Look at verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you knew the gift of God, I'm going to ask you, if you're a believer here tonight, if you have a relationship with Jesus, what would you say is the greatest gift that God has given you? What's the greatest gift? Is it salvation? Is the fact that one day you're going to, uh, to be saved and enter into heaven? Is the, is the greatest gift that God can give you uh, an ability to understand truth and see truth? Is that the greatest gift? You know, I believe the greatest gift that Scripture describes given to people who come to faith is the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of God's presence living in us. He says, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew the Spirit and the one who asks you for a drink, if you knew the Spirit and if you knew who I am, you would have asked him and he would have given you what? Living water. Look at verse 13. Everyone who drinks this water, Jesus says, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give will become in them a spring of water, gushing up, welling up to eternal life. Jesus describes here that not only will you be refreshed by the gift of God, but this gift will refresh others. It will gush out of you to others. And just to be clear, in John 7, just two pages over, in John 7, it's very clear what the living water describes. Verse 37 of John chapter 7. On the last day of the festival, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow within them. By this, he meant the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed were later to receive. The water, the gift of God, is the Holy Spirit poured out into our hearts. Jesus finds us. Jesus loves us. Jesus fills us. And Jesus transforms us. Look at the witness this woman gives down in verse 28, down to 30. 
She says, uh, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Look at verse 30. They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Let that sink in. We didn't talk much about the fact that this woman came to the well at high noon when nobody else would see her. I venture to guess this woman, because of her past and because of who she was, was an absolute outcast in her community, going to the well at a time when no one would even be there. And yet here she goes back into the heart of town and proclaims, come see this man who has told me everything I ever did. They came out of the town and made their way toward him. They believed her. They acted on her testimony. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Unbelievable. I want you to see this. This woman, as a result of meeting Jesus at the well, can I say it any differently? Was completely different. Completely transformed by Jesus. I want to read you these words written by a man in 350 AD. This is 1,700 years ago. A man named Ephraim the Syrian, he said this about this woman at the well. First she caught sight of a thirsty man, then a Jew, then a rabbi, afterward a prophet, last of all, the Messiah. She tried to get the better of the thirsty man. She showed her dislike of the Jew. She heckled the rabbi. She was swept off her feet by the prophet. And she adored the Christ. Completely different. Jesus finds us. You may have an appointment to meet Jesus tonight, today, for the very first time. Your being here is no accident. This could be your moment to meet Jesus. Jesus has an appointment with you. In fact, I believe that this weekend, this Easter weekend, this sermon might be for just one person. Jesus met that woman at the well. Why? Because he had an appointment with her. And she understood that Jesus loved her. He broke through every barrier that she had around her. Jesus fills her with the living water. And Jesus transforms us. You know, when you think about Easter, I don't want you to think about church and pews, and stained glass windows, and, and rooms like this, and chairs, and, and a one-hour service, and then life as usual. I want you to think about this well. I want you to think about this woman. I want you to think about this water. And the question I want to ask is, are you thirsty? <laughs> Do more than think. Believe 
Put your faith in Jesus. Believe that he is the resurrected Savior, that he loves you, that he gave his life to wash you of all your sin and to give you rivers of living water welling up inside your soul. Do you thirst for a drink from the well? I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and your hearts with me. Lord Jesus, we want to take a moment right now. We want to pause as we even hear the sound of this rushing water. And Lord Jesus, we want to ask you to come into our hearts. There may be some here listening right now that quite honestly, Jesus, they've never actually met you. They've heard all about you. Maybe they've rejected you. Maybe they feel like there's all these barriers that separate us from you. But Lord Jesus, this Easter, this moment, might we meet you. In fact, I want to invite you right now to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I love you and worship you. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Lord Jesus, I, like this woman, am thirsty. I keep coming back to the same broken wells that do not satisfy. They leave me thirsty. And Lord Jesus, I come to you right now. I come to the altar. I come to your feet. And I ask you, Jesus, would you fill me? Would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me? Would you give me the power to know your forgiveness, to be cleansed? I give you my heart right now, Jesus. Forgive me. Wash me. Fill me. And it's in your name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this morning's message. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to contact us using our online form on our website at kingstreetchurch.com or by calling us here at 717-264-4651 during our regular business hours. Be sure to stop by and see us in person at one of our five Sunday morning services, 8.15 a.m., 2 at 9.45 a.m., as well as 2 at 11 a.m. We look forward to seeing you there.